This episode was recorded Wednesday, November 16th, in light of Rokana's economic patriotism speech. So, Kelvin, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. How about you, Will? Pretty good. Looking forward to the holiday season. What? Me too. Uh, I'm definitely a Christmas and Thanksgiving person. I made some cornbread. I made some mac and cheese, my classics. What about you, Will? How's Thanksgiving? Yeah, I'm a big cranberry sauce fan, personally, cranberry so... Sauce. Certainly do love Thanksgiving. Um, and also the holiday, uh, Christmas is coming up soon, uh, which I love to celebrate. It's going to be pretty nice to be back with my family during winter break. Yeah, I think the great thing about the holiday season is that it definitely brings people together. And speaking of bringing people together, uh, we recently brought Rogue Khanna to campus to have a sit down and, and talk. Yeah, that was a nice segue. Uh, Rogue Khanna is an American politician and former lawyer, currently serving as the U.S. representative from California's 17th Congressional District. Obviously, since he represents Silicon Valley, he had a lot to say about technology. How did you feel about the interview, Will? I thought the interview was great, um, and it was really fun for this to be my first one. Yeah, he was really short, really to the point, and I... So glad that you got your first experience with the pod with him. Absolutely. So I guess let's fly right on in. Hello, welcome back to Fly on the Wall. I'm your esteemed host, Kelvin. And I'm Will. Uh, Obviously, Will is new. Welcome to his first podcast interview with the... Uh, again, esteemed Ro Khanna. Uh, thanks for joining us, Cong- Congressman Khanna. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's really great to see you at Georgetown again. This is like, what, your second time? Second time. Yeah, Hoya Saxa. Uh, we're really privileged to be in this position, but we don't want to waste your time. Let's get right into it. Uh, you saw the midterm results, obviously. You got reelected. And uh, Dems did better than expected, I believe, uh, during this midterm section. So our question for you is, do you think this is the result of weakness uh, in terms of the Republican side or a strong Democratic platform, or maybe a little bit of both? Probably a little bit of both. I mean, we had a very strong platform on reproductive rights, Mm -hmm. on standing up for uh, freedoms, on standing up for democracy and making sure that uh, votes are properly counted. And the other side were extremists. I mean, they ran candidates who believe that there shouldn't be abortion even in cases of rape and incest. They ran candidates who said that they would certify the Republican no matter who got more votes. And so I think this was a clear rejection of extremism. Great. And now, obviously, we're halfway through President Biden's presidency um, so far. How do you feel that he's performed? And um, where do you see him in terms of in terms of 2024 and the future of the Democratic Party? He's had an extraordinary two years. I mean, you look at the American Rescue Plan, which put money into the pockets of so many working-class and middle-class Americans, the infrastructure bill that passed, the Inflation Reduction Act, largest investment in climate, and the CHIPS Act, which I was involved with in helping bring semiconductors back to the United States. That's an incredible record, and uh, I fully expect that he will uh, run for re-election and win. Yeah, uh, you actually just covered our next question as well, so I can tell you have press experience. <laughs> uh, so I guess our next question is, uh, now we got a Democratic minority in the House, we got Speaker-elect uh, Kevin McCarthy now uh, running the show. What do you think are the policy implications of a Democratic minority for the next two years? Well, first, I don't know when the podcast is going to air, but it's unclear if McCarthy will have the votes. It's still... Uh... 
uh, to be seen. And it's a very slim majority, and he's got a challenge on the Freedom Caucus on, on his side. Uh, I think the Democratic uh, minority has got to continue to push our agenda. First, in the lame duck, we've got to increase the debt ceiling. Then we've got to push for child care. I've said that no person, working class family, should have to pay more than 10 bucks a day for child care. We should push for a continued agenda on revitalizing manufacturing and economic development. Push on housing costs. I mean, housing is crazy. Uh, and uh, stop Wall Street from buying up single family homes. So we need to keep pushing our agenda, having votes, putting the Republicans on the record. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was really nice and concise. Uh, I think that also relates to what you're talking about at Georgetown today, right? Economic patriotism? I Tell am. us more about mm-hmm. that. Economic patriotism is this idea that we need to make things in America again. We need to be a manufacturing superpower again. Uh, we lost our production that led to the hollowing out of the working class, hollowing out of the middle class, and we've got to <clears throat> invest again in this country and, and, and building things. And it's an uh, agenda for how we can do that. Uh, I've tried to outline it in a Boston Globe op-ed on the topic for those who are interested. Uh, and we'll be talking about it in today's speech. Perfect. Yeah. And then I guess um, more in terms of that, um, obviously we're not all congressmen. So how can we be economic patriots just as maybe citizens of the United States? It's a States? great thing. Well, it's going to take all of us to rebuild our country and to be economic patriots. It's going to take, of course, government investment. Uh, but it's also going to take business leaders, it's going to take labor leaders, it's going to take universities to help train the workforce, to help make the uh, investments in companies, to make the products. And so I think we're all going to have to be part of this. And for the younger generation, it can be an enormous uh, progress on, on climate because the new battery factories, the new electric vehicles, the new manufacturing of steel, the new manufacturing of aluminum, all of this will reduce carbon. Yeah, so uh, obviously you're a representative from Silicon Valley. Uh, so our next question is probably the one to ask you. It's on big tech. Uh, we've been hearing a lot about layoffs in big tech recently. And we also know that key to your economic plan for uh, the Midwest and largely throughout America is spreading technology jobs throughout the country. Do you think in light of these layoffs, it can still work? And if so, what do we do about the instability we've seen from these layoffs in big tech? It's a great question. Well, the economy is slow, but that doesn't change the fundamental fact that <clears throat> there are going to be 25 million of these new digital jobs over the next five years. And we've got to get people prepared for these jobs. Uh, and that is by partnering with tech companies and land grant universities or community colleges to get these credentials. But the, the reality is with the slowing of the economy, uh, the tech economy is probably the leading indicator. And that suggests to me that uh, we, we really have to be more intentional about creating jobs uh, and, and having government investment to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And on that, um, obviously, there's been bipartisan calls to regulate this industry. Um, should we be cognizant of the risks of stifling tech uh, innovation with regulation? Or how do you feel yeah. like government regulation plays and a role in this industry? To add like a bit of an addendum to that, mm-hmm. there seems to be like typically a dichotomy, I guess, in the average person's mind mm-hmm. between uh, regulation and innovation. So how are you going to tackle that with your uh, theory of like regulation? Well, I think we need regulation to help... Uh, protect people's data. I mean, you have the right to your own data. It's not the government's data. Uh, and we need regulation to make sure that there, these, the internet isn't proliferating with hate and violent speech. 
So having sensible regulation, I think, make these platforms better. And you can still have innovation. Now, I'm not for taking a sledgehammer and just breaking the companies up mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, or, 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 you know, having them turn into utilities. But I think if you have well-crafted regulation uh, that can keep people safe, it can protect privacy and allow for innovation. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, hate speech and uh, the type of speech you mentioned earlier, our next question is going to be about social media and public discourse. As we've seen earlier, uh, specifically with the case of Elon Musk and Twitter, uh, Mark Zuckerberg more broadly in Facebook, a few men have a lot of power over uh, large platforms for public discourse. So our first question, we probably know what you could answer to this. Should the government regulate these social media platforms? And number two, what makes like the government the body for doing this regulation? And how do we make sure it doesn't uh, go too far? The government should, and that's because the government is all of us. That means that there should be a democratic will over social media. There should be some democratic norms. And we have a constitution in in respect to the First Amendment. So the government can't go too far in in censoring speech because that would be violating the First Amendment. But what the government can do is to say, well, you need to have some separation between the capital owners like Elon Musk and the people making decisions on Twitter, just like we have separation between the what Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, and the editorial decisions on the Washington Post. The government can say, you've got to protect people's privacy. You've got to treat their data with respect. These are concrete things that regulations can do. Okay. I guess my concern is that uh, during the Trump presidency, we saw uh, a lot of like government-influenced media, specifically I'm thinking of Voice of America, uh, being influenced by his administration. How do we make sure that how do we make sure that these regulations and their effectiveness and their bipartisanship do not depend on who is in office? Well, that's a great question. I think that's why we need to have multiple platforms so you don't just have one or two platforms. We need to make sure that they, the regulations themselves are content neutral so that uh, you can have regulations about time and place and uh, reasonable uh, conversation, but you can't privilege one point of view over another point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we should be doing is having regulations that protect privacy, uh, regulations that protect uh, people's uh, data, uh, that make sure that there's not hate speech inciting violence, but we shouldn't give government the power to say, this is the truth, this is not the truth, we're gonna allow this type of speech and not allow this type of speech. So I guess on that note then, um, what role do you think people like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg should have in these big tech companies? I really think they need to be hands off. I mean, I think they can, uh, obviously, like any entrepreneur, bid on it, buy it. But, you know, it's kind of like sports owners. The good ones don't really get in and manage the team and say, here's what we need to pick for running back or quarterback. They, they buy the team. They maybe do the, 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 the deal. But then they have a front office, general manager, coaches who they uh, trust to, to run the t- day-to-day operations. And I think uh, the social media companies need to be the same way. Yeah, but I feel like it's going to be like a hard change to mandate, typically because when you think of the Silicon Valley startup like leader, they are the person leading it. I'm sure you've met your fair share of them just being a congressman from the area. So how do you feel? Uh, do you feel like there will be an uh, issue with fighting the culture of Silicon Valley startups and these big tech giants in order to like do that? I do, but I, I saw something today, I don't know if it's serious, that uh, Musk himself is saying that he doesn't want to run Twitter. So I think if you do a week of it and you're having to get complaints about every tweet that's taken down or, or put up, 
I think anyone would get tired of that job. So my sense is that his interests and his talents are much better used to figuring out how we get more rockets in space and figuring out neural link that allow us to communicate our thoughts with each other rather than worrying about what tweets are up uh, at what time of day. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Um, and then kind of just circling back to something earlier, I know we talked about hate speech, but obviously misinformation is a really big problem on the internet too. How can the government better regulate misinformation and maybe what actionable steps can we begin to take? And also, how can uh, the government empower private platforms to uh, combat misinformation as well? That's a harder uh, problem for the government because the government can't be an arbiter of truth. But what the government can do is protect consumer safety and public health. So while we can have criticisms, for example, about vaccines, because that's part of the scientific conversation and debate and free speech, what we can have is people saying things like don't take vaccines if it's going to hurt people's public health, if it's going to actually lead to more deaths, if it's actually going to lead to more disease. So where the government has a compelling interest and I would argue that's in public health, I would argue that's in consumer safety, they can uh, find ways to uh, to regulate the speech. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we're talking a lot about the government and what the government uh, can do and uh, can't do theoretically. What I wanna hear more of is what concrete stuff have you been doing uh, during your term in Congress uh, for these past two years? What do you think are some big wins uh, that you've done? Well, the CHIPS Act, which I helped co-write, uh, Chips and Science Act is m- most spending on science in, in our country's history uh, is since the Kennedy years on AI, on quantum computing, on synthetic biology, on clean tech. Uh, and then uh, the uh, fact that we're bringing semiconductor production back to the United States. Those are two massive uh, wins for, uh, for our country. Uh, I've also been very involved with the climate bill. I worked with Senator Manchin to make sure we got some of those investments, and that's $300 billion of climate investments in batteries, in electric vehicles, in solar, in wind. Uh, Those are uh, significant steps forward in building our industrial economy. Yeah, and I guess on that too, specifically with with the CHIPS Act, um, a lot of money in terms of bringing back um, tech jobs to us. Um, What role do educational institutions like Georgetown or elsewhere have in the implementation of this bill, or what role do students have in maybe shaping the future? Well, students have such huge opportunity. One, in climate, that's the future on so much industry, so many jobs. I imagine a lot of people here will go into those industries or fields, either as business leaders or as lawyers or as uh, policymakers uh, or as uh, scientists. Uh, and then uh, the the uh, Georgetown students we need very much for figuring out how do we uh, deal with the next generation of climate challenges. What are we going to do uh, in terms of public transportation? What are we going to do in terms of more investment in renewable energy so we can actually hit the 2035 goals of, of zero emissions? Uh, the younger generations and the students really understand climate more than anyone, and I can't wait till they're, they're leading on it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of climate and climate policy, we found that a lot of your policy profile is very popular and carried out by activists, like, for example, climate change. We've got uh, net neutrality when that was a major issue. We've got internet uh, data privacy. We got big tech regulation. How do you, what's your relationship with the activism around your policy profiles, and how do you find that affects how you choose a policy profile? It's a great question. We engage with the activists all the time, and the activists are who help get us policy wins. It's one thing to just have a policy. 
and then you have a think tank and then you can introduce it. But to get the policy to be law, you need thousands of people mobilizing into a movement and, to, and, and talking to a lot of other members of Congress and senators. And that's what uh, happened with the climate bill. Sunrise did that. The NRDC did that. Uh, a lot of Food and Water Watch did that. And that's what's happened with net neutrality. You have a lot of groups and activists who really take an issue from a policy issue and make it something that is uh, actually going to become law. So there is a very close relationship between, in my opinion, the American people and the economy. But very often it's hard to explain the economy to like the average person because it's so counterintuitive sometimes. How do you, what's your approach to economic communication in light of the fact that you obviously have a degree in economics? Well, I think you have to make it something that people can relate to. It's got to be pocketbook issues. It's got to be issues that people say, uh, this is how it's going to affect my life. This is how it's going to affect my kid's life. This is uh, what we need to, to do to, uh, to, to make sure that our kids have a, a better quality of life than we do. And if you talk about economic issues in ways that pe- relate to people's lives, then it, it, it's real. If it's just abstract econ- economics that you learn in a classroom, I don't, I don't think that connects. And, and do you feel that approach is uh, what helped with uh, the very common Republican line of Biden inflation? Well, I think that they were, there's easy when, it's easy when gas is at five bucks or four bucks to say, look, the party in power is to blame. Uh, and that's what they did. But uh, it didn't work. They, they didn't succeed in pitting all the blame because they had no plan on inflation. And the reality is the Biden administration has taken every step to bring inflation down, bringing manufacturing back, supply chains back. Yeah. On that front, we're going to take you to a fly-on-the-wall tradition. Uh, it's called the lightning round. Where we ask you quick questions and hopefully get quick answers. Are you ready? Yes. Excellent. Um, well, I know you're a huge Golden State Warriors fan. Um, unfortunately, not the best start to the season. How yeah. do you think the Warriors can, uh, can turn it around? Well, look, they've always been counted out in the past. Uh, they, they're they very resilient. Steve Kerr is great, obviously, with Steph Curry, Clyde Thompson. I mean, they've got great talent. And uh, they just uh, need to regroup. I've seen them come back uh, before when uh, Kevin Durant left. People counted them out, then they came back. And I'm confident that they're uh, they're going to be a resilient team. That's true. Unfortunately, it couldn't come back in, in 2016, though. But... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it makes you feel any better. I'm from Houston. So we're not in the worst shape. Our next question, obviously you're from California. Uh, what is your go-to In-N-Out order? You know, I'll have a burger. I, I'm not that creative. I'll have a burger with a, a shake and, uh, you know, cheeseburger from, yeah. uh, with fries. But uh, I'll, I'll do that probably once every year. <laughs> no secret menu? No secret. I, I haven't, I, and I don't... Do they really have these secret things? I'm not even convinced. I think it's a BuzzFeed thing. Yeah. Um, well, one more thing. Um, obviously, with Twitter, we've seen um, blue check marks are now up for purchase for eight dollars. Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, if you had to buy a blue check mark, how much would you pay for it? What's the maximum amount? Oh, I I probably paid more than eight bucks. Got three hundred followers, unless Twitter collapses. Sure. But if they could keep up with the followers, it's a means of uh, getting the word out. And it's, it's, it's worth something. It's, it's not worth as much as people think, but it is worth something. Sure, sure. 
And obviously, this is just one I made on the fly. Uh, fly pun over there. But uh, if you have a piece of advice to give the Georgetown students listening to our podcast, what is the number one piece of advice you'd give them? The number one piece of advice for those interested in politics or policy, I would say, is uh, follow your gut. You know, there'll be a lot of people who'll be naysayers. They'll say you can't do something. You, you hear all the reasons you can't do it. Uh, but if you believe in something and you want to do it, just keep going and follow your gut and uh, you're likely to persevere. Follow your gut. That's a good tactic. Uh, Will, want to end off the podcast? Yeah, well, um, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to come in today. Um, Thank it's you, been a, It's been a real treat to, to have you here. Oh, it's yeah. my pleasure. I, I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Fly on the Wall. You can find us on social media by searching at Fly on the Wall Pod. Inquiries may be sent to our email address, flyonthewall at georgetown.edu. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure to subscribe to Fly on the Wall, a geopolitics podcast, and leave a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or SoundCloud. The Fly's researchers are Kelvin Doe, Robin Huang, and Zan Hock. Our communications team is Andrea Smith and Fiona Gallagher. Our producer is the mighty Max Paley. Original theme music is composed by Aidan Ang and Bella Carlucci. I'm Sam Kehoe, managing director of the pod. Fly on the Wall is brought to you by the Georgetown University Institute of Politics and Public Service and is made possible by the McCord School of Public Policy. Thanks for listening and fly with you soon.